Welcome back to Talking Planning for the second episode of the Talking Planning Podcast. My name is Thomas and I am a transport planner and the last few years have taught me quite a lot. The importance of transport planning and urban and regional planning is so crucial to the future of local towns, states and of course Australia. With economic recovery the priority of most state governments right now, the role of planning and transport is more important than ever. Growth in Western Sydney, the 2032 Olympics, a resurgence in regional living, environmental activism and an ageing population are just some of the key considerations that will shape planning and transport into the future. Today's episode is something I've been wanting to do for quite a while and I want to talk a bit more about Australia's transport culture. This could be a podcast series in and of itself but I think it is a good starting point, especially given I'm now working in transport planning again. I'd like to start today with the relationship between the car and cycling, as it can be a treacherous one at times. There's no escaping that most of Australia's towns and cities have evolved around the car, and we design much of our environment around cars and not people. This is not a new observation, and since the 1970s, people have realised that this isn't necessarily a good thing. And there's one city that realised this earlier than most in the Netherlands, Amsterdam. Amsterdam is often regarded as the capital of cycling, but this hasn't always been the case. Like many US, Canadian and Australian major cities, Amsterdam also saw rapid growth in car ownership during the 50s and 60s. Responding to additional road use demand, Plan Jokinen was proposed in Amsterdam. But given that I'm talking about the success of Amsterdam's cycling network, you probably can gather that Plan Jokinen didn't pass the pub test, and people overall decided that bulldozing several neighbourhoods to build an expressway just wasn't worth it. Not Just Bikes does a great summary video, which you should go and check out to learn more. The link is in the description if you're watching this video on YouTube. And through this sort of process of trial and error when Plan Jokinen didn't go according to plan, the Dutch started to learn a few fundamentals to traffic design. Number one, build it and they will come also applies to increase traffic congestion. Number two, adding more lanes is only going to strengthen that first point. And number three, the more lanes you add, the law of diminishing returns is going to kick you harder. And because Amsterdam said no to bulldozing several suburbs to build a freeway, they needed an alternative to move lots of people. And this alternative came on two wheels. It was affordable, well-proven, it was reliable, and produced zero emissions. And best of all, you didn't even need to charge it. I'm of course referring to the bicycle. The Netherlands' success means that they are often considered world leaders in cycling. And because they've had around 50 years to develop their craft, the Netherlands has some really great major advocacy programs like the Urban Cycling Institute. And to be clear, it's not like cars don't exist in Amsterdam. They still certainly exist. It's just cars are put in their place. And people think a little bit more carefully about how they get places as they've sort of realised that a five metre long, two tonne block of plastic and metal shouldn't be the default way for one person to get around. One thing though that I do have a bone to pick with is that the advocacy work that these agencies do is great, but 
I think somewhere in the delivery, the message gets a bit lost because it just isn't resonating with the suburban SUV driving families that are so typical outside of the Netherlands. So I want to try a slightly different approach to this subject. Amsterdam has normalized cycling to the point where most people don't think twice about hopping on a bicycle to commute to work, grab their groceries, or go and visit family and friends. Cycling is as normal to Amsterdam residents as getting in a two-ton SUV to commute to work, pick up the groceries, or go visit family and friends is for most Australians. Now, my stance on driving has changed somewhat since moving to parks as the distances between towns and cities and having coverage only sort of bus services makes driving a necessary evil for some tasks. But as a compact regional town, many things are well within walking distance and I enjoy walking to work, picking up the groceries on the walk home and being able to go to the pub without needing to worry about an expensive rideshare or taxi just to get home. For intertown travel, however, I can't conceive of a reasonable alternative to driving at this time. So I won't be ditching the car and going car-free in parks anytime soon. But what about cycling? How could that fit in? And how could it work well in regional towns like parks? So at the moment, I don't actually have a bicycle. It's up in Brisbane. But judging by how few bicycles I see around town, it starts to lead me towards a conclusion. And that is that cycling in Australia is a bit like horse riding. It's seen as something reserved for enthusiasts. It is still a common sight to see people cycling, particularly in groups on a Saturday morning on their expensive road bikes. And afterwards, you'll see them parked on a line alongside a cafe while the riders are sitting after their leisure ride having breakfast or brunch. And this behaviour has become a little infamous over the years and it's gained a variety of nicknames, probably the most well-known of which is mammals, middle-aged men in lycra. I think a lot of people have opinions on that topic and I'm not necessarily going to go through it in this video, but there's certainly some judgement that is going to be reserved on that topic at times. For many though, cycling is seen either as recreation or exercise. And after a, a long ride, they'll get that bicycle that they've just done 20, 30, 40, however many kilometers on, pop it in the back of their SUV or on the roof and then just drive home. It's interesting because car enthusiasts in some ways do the same sort of thing. They'll meet on a Friday evening or on the weekend to chat cars and do all that sort of thing. There just usually is a little less lycra involved. Now, I'm not saying that people don't cycle for commuting because there certainly are a number of cyclists who commute to work too. But there's a lot of people who don't. And there are key reasons for it. You know, road safety doesn't always cater well to cycling. There's limited bicycle storage options and there's a lack of end of trip facilities at most destinations. Interestingly, though, many of these factors are actually where regional towns have a good chance to one-up cities for cycling intake. Parks has really wide streets, along with many other regional towns, which at this time allow angle parking on both sides of the road 
plus a centre median and relatively wide footpaths. And this is pretty common for towns that were developed and settled in the 1800s. This means that unlike many of our cities, there's actually far more street space to play with. And if you adjust your priorities a little, there are a lot of opportunities to fit in safe spaces to walk and cycle. But herein is where the challenge lies. There's a reluctance to give up any road space in many regional towns, even if it isn't being used. Even on the busiest days, there are usually car spaces free in the main street, and this goes for many regional towns. And there are so many side streets that just have empty car spaces, even during really busy times. I think the fact that there's a shortage of parking in some cases is actually a myth. And it's more that there's a shortage of patience rather than a shortage of parking. And unfortunately, this breeds a perpetual parking problem. I went for a morning walk the other day. And I, I almost couldn't believe my own eyes here. I saw someone jump in their car, drive 50 metres between two shops and get out again. It was slower for them to drive that distance than I walked it. It took them longer to drive that distance than I could walk it. I know, because I beat them. But driving is so embedded in culture, particularly in regional towns, that that sort of behaviour is almost normalised. And unfortunately, that sort of driving culture means that converting one side of a road from angle-in parking to parallel parking to add a separated cycle lane is likely to get about as much support as a $25 tofu curry in a country pub. I really hope I do get to see this start to change, but it's not going to be easy. One thing that can help people realise how much space that car parking takes up are parklets, which are car spaces converted into recreation areas. I'm a big fan of the concept, and in most cases, they can also help local businesses increase their trade by providing better places to sit and relax, particularly for cafes. After all, you can't shop from inside your car, so you need foot traffic, not vehicle traffic, to improve the shopping and visitation experience. Bit of a side note here, I actually worked in my first transport planning internship on a parklet project, and we converted a few car spaces in the middle of Cleveland into a parklet. And generally speaking, we got really positive feedback. It was three car spaces in front of a cafe that became on-street dining. And it wasn't a super high budget thing. We just put out some fake grass, put a few chairs in, put a few potted plants, and it really lifted that space and made it into something which people would sit and enjoy. Probably more so than three angle in parking spaces would ever bring in terms of joy. So that leads me into the end of this and... Maybe once people start to enjoy parklets and these sorts of spaces, the urge to try something new will be reignited and it might then be a better time to plant the cycling seed. Thank you for joining me on the Talking Planning Podcast and I'll be back soon with another topic.